Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Today we, I want to talk about um, a bit of a reverse thing. I want to do a bit of a state of play first uh, to talk about the games I've run this past little while on the Dungeon Musings uh, YouTube channel. Uh, and then I want to talk about the um, uh, one specific game that I ran that I, I did a lot of uh, design work for uh, to get it going and, and uh, talk about that experience because it was really, I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was a really, really gratifying experience. So let's get to that. All right, so let's start with the state of play, which is to say um, how things have been going in the games that I'm running on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Uh, first up, we had the uh, Wednesday session of uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, where we're playing through a, a, a modified version of the Night Below campaign. And uh, that was really, it was a really solid session. Uh, the previous session had left the heroes with very little hit points, um, some um, crippling injuries, uh, and many of them without their weaponry. Um, but Wednesday, Wednesday was a full house. Uh, Wednesday we had the full eight-player complement, and uh, what the guys decided to do is kind of set up a careful camp, have one of the the, uh, the resident kind of medic apply some, uh, some of his uh, uh, medicinal and... Um, what do you call it, chirurgic uh, skills to, uh, to kind of heal up our, uh, our injured parties. And then everyone else kept watch. And then they decided, rather than kind of traveling back to town, to make another assault on the uh, Goblin Stronghold. And uh, we ended up uh, partway with them partway through doing that. Uh, but it was, boy, what an enormously, uh, enormous amount of fun. You know, um, the thing with the, with these old school games uh, that I uh, I've been running in the last maybe coming up on two years now uh, is just how well they accommodate big groups. You know, um, one of the problems with uh, having with some of the more modern games is just that they don't really the the pace of play gets so slow with uh, too many players, um, particularly in combat. I mean, combat's the thing that chews up the most uh, time. So. You know, um, there's there's times when I am I'm not able to like I've had other people ask to to join certain games and I've I've set caps at four or five players on uh, certain games just because they don't play very well with with too big of a group. So, or at least that's been my experience. And let me rephrase that: maybe they do play perfectly well, just I can, I'm not equipped to run them. So uh, that could yeah, I mean that could very well be the case. Um, other people may have much more success with some of these games that I struggle with groups of six or seven players but in the in the current one though um we uh boy like it just it was so good uh and you could tell everyone was really engaged with the the session as well um because I mean part of because things move so quickly but also you have to be thinking really tactically and really carefully in it because it's a uh, old school play is very unforgiving and in my AD&D game, I'm actually even more unforgiving with it uh, than what I was in my Ash game. Um, I, For those who may not be familiar with the way I run those games, with my Ash game, I've got a, um, a narrative meta currency called Astonishing Fortune that I use that allows for a number of ways to kind of like, there. it's this kind of, um, I don't want to say training wheels, but it's sort of, it's a way to make it so that it's not so capriciously um, lethal. Um, you know, it's players will have a little bit of agency over re-rolls, over um, saving throws, over <laughs> excuse me, dying and 
that that has really really worked for that game. Um, but for the AD and D game, I, I decided I wanted to go a little more, a little closer to the to the more like let the dice fall where they may style play. And the way I did that is I I do have astonishing fortune, but I've changed it from being individual. So individual players don't get astonishing fortune. They don't get as many of them as what. I typically hand out in Ash in the sense that like each session you start with a number equal to the players, but I don't refresh that. Um, the let's see here, that's weird because I mean it, I think that the the reason I got in the habit of refreshing the giving more astonishing fortune to everybody was because of playing Pathfinder Two, which is interesting. Um, so the um, there's that, and then also I, I don't uh, allow. Uh, <laughs> what I allow in uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is for the players to ignore a hit. They can spend a point to ignore a hit from someone or uh, to, you know, ignore a source of damage. And I don't allow that in the AD&D game. Um, you, you take the hit. What you can do is you can spend it to not die. Uh, and you can spend it to re-roll. That's really kind of, you know, that's really kind of it. Uh, I do have a shield break mechanic in the... Uh, AD&D game that I didn't have in the other, which gives at least shield-bearing, you know, sword and board fighters uh, an opportunity to uh, mm-hmm. a small F fighters, not uh, capital F, uh, an opportunity to try and survive. But yeah, I mean, it's um, it's been awesome so far. It's been really, really good. We haven't had any character deaths, and that's not I haven't had to fudge anything. That's because of the way the players were playing, and even not not the last session, but the session before, I had. Because it made sense for the the way that their adversaries were fighting, uh, they the guys were the scene was was the, just before they finally actually realized that that the assault was not going to work and they had to break. We had two dwarves who were slowly making their way forward, hidden underneath a shield, and we had uh, uh, a gnome and a uh, elf who were doing kind of like long range fire support, and they were trying to charge this rope bridge. And across the rope bridge, there were four goblin archers and then they were keeping these goblin dogs and goblin you can kind of think of like maybe like a little oversized dire rats is uh is how you if you're not familiar with them in pathfinder one then that's how you know you can kind of picture them but in any event what happened is the i got some really lucky rolls the our elven archer was just doing garbage and could not get uh, a good roll to save his life so what ended up happening is the uh the guy who was holding the shield up he went down and then the others had to had to retreat, and I was thinking like, okay, they're in a lot of trouble right now. But what was true to the setting and true to the scene was that's when the goblins were sick their goblin dogs on the guys, and that's what I did. Yeah, and it worked out. Like I mean, the guys managed to to defeat the goblin dogs, but um, that could have gone sideways. It could have been a TPK. But I'm glad that I I'm glad that I went that way because um, it's. For one, it's true to how I want that campaign to feel, which is to say that it, the world responds the way the world would respond, not the way I think drama would necessarily play out. You know, my the way I've put stuff together in that uh, in that uh, setting for where I place my goblins and whatever else that may be um, that's something where I, where I get to uh, affect the pacing and the drama and whatever that I would in other games where I'm fudging things on the fly. But in this one, it just because I had those those goblins established, I was just like, all right, I'm. That's what's going to happen, and um, it was a scary moment for them. But what it meant was that when the players went back, they had a, I think, a much healthier respect for the potential. And it's not to say that the guys were going in, you know, crazy. They had a solid strategy. 
And I mean, they should have been able to take out those goblins. There was just the dice were just not with them, and my dice were on fire for my archers. So um, yeah, so it was good. It was really really good. And I mean, the discussion and strategies that everyone was talking like there was no bogging down play or anything like that. Like it, everyone really got down to like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Let's do it. And then just you know was ready on their turn to go. It's really great. It's a, it's a really really good group of uh, players that we're we've got for that uh, that particular campaign. Um, again, I'm very very fortunate to have people who are so on the ball and invested in both role playing their characters and really playing the hell out of the combat scene so so that was Wednesday and then Friday we were supposed Friday's when we normally play ADD again but what we did this week was I created a um, as I mentioned on the podcast before I actually I ended up doing that I created a an October faction uh, one shot based on the television series and I'm not going to spoil anything in the event that you want to watch the well I mean you may have had it spoiled or at least in part spoiled by the uh, previous podcast. But to be honest, I changed a f- quite a few things about it. So the, the actual play at the table was quite different. And then as is all, always the case, the players ended up changing things quite a bit with their play. So that was that was pretty great. Uh, the system I, I landed on... Um, so what I ended up doing... and well, I'll save this for the, the, the next section here. But uh, I... Yeah, I, I, the custom system that I, I created for it worked really, really, really well. Like, it just, it um, it fit exactly, not only with like what I sort of had hoped the session was going to be like, uh, it, it exceeded it in a huge way. And by that I mean the players were role-playing the hell out of their characters. Like, they clearly got who these characters were and were really, you know, digging into them. Um, they totally embraced the dark secret thing which I had planned for it, and I'll talk about that more in the second section if you don't remember what I had mentioned, or you haven't heard the original podcast of what I mentioned this session. Um, task resolution was super quick and allowed for a lot of improvisation. Um, the players used their special abilities in genius ways. They really worked, they worked the system really well too. So like, it was just an enormously gratifying session. Like, I mean, one of the best sessions I've run ever. Uh, it just, uh, for... The sheer amount of work that that went into it, um, and how things played out in the end, it's just, man, I could not have asked for a, a better outcome from it. It was so much fun. So, and we're already talking about uh, revisiting that too. So, like, I I've put together on the Discord a kind of a, uh, you know, uh, not a spam, but just like a whole bunch of ideas that I had for how to kind of further refine the mechanics and how to add some stuff onto it. So. I'm yeah. I mean, if if you if you want to check out the session, please feel free. I think it it would be, it's uh, yeah. Well, it's on the it's on the YouTube channel, but it's the the set setting or setting the setting itself is, is amazing. Like the the TV series was great. Uh, the uh, player George was able to share with me who uh, was an executive producer and a writer on uh, October Faction. Uh, he was able to share some other info about the setting uh, with me that I was able to incorporate into the into the, the character backgrounds and whatnot, and it was just, yeah, it was really, really fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, and let's see here, what else did we do? Uh, we also had on Saturday, Saturday was, oh, so Saturday was our, our final, it's our session zero for our new campaign, and I had been keeping this a secret, I don't know why, but uh, what I was hoping to do is to start our campaign on Saturday, but we didn't have a chance to really do a, a session zero proper where we were tying all the characters together. So what we did is we, um, what well, I guess first off, what we're playing now, every second Saturday, we're going to be playing for the first quarter 
a Pathfinder 2nd Edition campaign set in the Gothic Horror world of Innistrad. It's the uh, Gothic Horror plane from the Manage the Gathering set of the, or sets of the same name. Um, I've, I love me some Gothic Horror anyway. I love horror full stop uh, for role-playing games. And the... Yeah, I mean, I just... I, um, I, I do love Ravenloft as well, but Innistrad is just... It's kind of fun having something that's different and that doesn't have the... You know, it has a little bit more of an optimistic outcome for the uh, characters. You know, like the uh, w- witch finders and whatnot are... Uh, are actually able to succeed in their in their jobs uh, and their tasks in uh, in Estrad, whereas in Ravenloft, you're kind of doomed because it's the demiplane of dread. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Anyway, the it's it's um, the setting itself is is awesome, and uh, we're playing something similar to what I had run a couple no last year, not a couple of years ago, last year, which was the uh, charity session for. Um, what do you call it, uh, for Jeff, uh, one of our regular players, he, the session for him was a, uh, what was it, it was a, bum, 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 um, Innistrad with a inqu- inquisitorial team, a bunch of basically like church-sponsored monster hunters, and that's what we did for this one as well too, so I, we're, we're making uh, church-sponsored monster hunters, and we sat down and made all the characters for it, and the characters are very interesting, uh, we have a Wizard, a ranger, a cleric, a uh, fighter, and a bard. And uh, everyone's got some really interesting character elements. And we spent some time sitting with uh, the so the the original cipher system uh, rulebook uh, has some really fun things in it. A lot of the cipher the Monty Cook games have these kind of things, but it's got these things where you can create connections to other players. And I like using that for other role playing games. Even when I'm even uh, when I mean I don't really run cipher at all, uh, but I do uh, I do like that element in the game. So uh, we did that and we made some connections between each of the five characters, and uh, it was really helpful. Like I've got a much much better idea of who these characters are, and I, it's helped me with my campaign planning for the for the mini campaign that we're going to be playing. But that was a lot of fun. It took up the full three hours too, and we we ended up not streaming it, but it was I, I wish I had it ha- would that I had to do it again. I would definitely stream that because uh, two of the players said like this would have been really helpful to see because it was a way they that it was way a different way of doing their session zero than what uh, they had experienced before so I'll uh, have to definitely uh, uh, revisit uh, or make sure I do that next time and, and actually record the thing um what else uh, and then on Sunday Sunday we had our uh, session of uh, modern age uh, RPG set in the threefold setting so this is Threefold setting is a uh, universal uh, or multi-universal kind of setting. I, I'm using it to run kind of a slowly unfolding weird conspiracy kind of thing, sort of similar, not, not quite to Stranger Things, but something kind of along that lines. A little more higher stakes, I think, and a little more guns. But um, but in any event, we had, uh, yes, yeah, so we had our, our second actual session of that. We had our session zero on that one two years ago. Two years ago, I mean, two sessions ago. And um, we, it was good. Like, I mean, there was, there were some good, uh, some really good elements to it. And then there were some struggles with the game mechanics. And I think some struggles with communication in that group. Uh, the, one of the problems uh, we ran into was the, the way that you man, the way that you actually run, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, the, 
advanced tasks. Like we're kind of just coming to grips with how the the rules work in this. And there was a couple of things we ran into that were kind of like, eh, I'm not sure. I, I, uh, I've, I'm probably going to end up house ruling some of these or just running them a little looser. Uh, we, we ran the advanced tests are a really good idea, but I think that when you like the skill challenges from D and D, uh, fourth, you, you know, when you run them too rigidly, you end up with, uh, something that feels kind of, it doesn't feel like it's adding it to, or structuring the narrative. It feels like it's hindering or, um, yeah, otherwise not uh, hampering the, the free flow. You know, I, I compare the, the way that things were going in that particular scene. The characters were infiltrating a, a lab, and I don't know why it was such a hard time getting in there, but we just had a real hard time uh, getting the, the team kind of together to, on one page to, you know, to, to infiltrate that lab. Um, in terms of getting the, the dice rolling going and, and whatnot. So so anyway, and I mean, I don't think that the... I don't think the players are, are terribly familiar with, the, with the, those mechanics yet either. So it was... It was that, that one was a little rocky. Um, and then we had some difficulties too with in terms of just like communicating with, with, the, with the players, with each other. Uh, it was only later in the session, but it, we really... It seemed that players weren't hearing what other players were saying. I think partly that's because there was a lot of crosstalk in it, uh, where people were talking over each other. Uh, and when you do that online, it just cuts out, you know? So like for me, I was able to hear most of what everyone was saying, but, um, the, uh, the other players, though, I don't think they could, they couldn't hear it. So, you know, we had a lot of like people suggesting certain things and then they were cycling back. Uh, so I, I don't know what, what the issue was, but, uh, like what the cause of that was, but it, it is a, we, we mentioned it and we, I think we'll, I'll just mention it at the outset of the next session that like, you know, guys, we had a lot of people not hearing what other people were saying or a lot of crosstalk that was drowning out what other people were saying. So let's just make sure we got that for a conspiracy game. I mean, for any role-playing game, that's always, that's going to be a problem. But for the conspiracy game uh, in particular, when, you know, your characters are piecing together what is going on in the, in the bigger picture, of their, you know, uh, of the adventure uh, or the campaign, uh, they need to be able to hear. They need to hear all that stuff. So, so anyway, um, that was that. I mean, it was still the the, the story and the the opening scene, like the opening um, scene we had with it, was all the players uh, kind of or the characters learning that one of the other players had uh, these psychic powers. He could manifest uh, snow and ice, and it was awesome. It was really really good. Like great role playing. Um, really fun uh, little quirk things that were added in there. It, it was a really good, um, yeah. So it was a really good uh, bit of the scene. It was only the the advanced uh, tests where things kind of got a little wonky. And I mean, I'll just also think of some strategies to try and address that for for next time because the group itself is really really good. Um, and it was just maybe I'm not sure. If, I don't think it was the game. Um, although the game, you know, I. Uh, I like a lot about modern age. Um, the stunts. Um, I don't know how I feel about them just yet. Uh, what I'm right now, the novelty of looking at the chart to try and figure out what kind of stunt we're going to trigger with different things is, is pretty interesting and pretty fun. Um, but the thing we found with the, the grappling rules, and I could be wrong about this, but I couldn't find anything to the contrary. 
Grappling rules in it are really swingy in the sense that you need to get, in order to improve a grapple, what you need to get is a, these just rules as written. Maybe they've changed things in the companion. I didn't look in there yet. But what you need to do is you need to not only get a, a success on your thing to, to get the grapple, there's a neat mechanic called a stunt attack that allows you to do some of the more, basically it's anything that's not a normal, just hit something for damage. But in order for you to, um, in order for you to improve that, what you need to do is generate more than one stunt point. And a stunt point is only generated when you roll doubles. And each round you need to maintain that grapple. So I like the idea of having to maintain the grapple as an, as a dice roll action because I, uh, um, well, I don't know. Yeah. And there's not a clear app. Well, anyway, the thing I don't like about that is the swinginess is just that like, if all you want to do is bring a character to the ground, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird that you, you got to roll doubles. You know, you got to get a success as well, too, but you got to roll doubles on your dice. If you didn't roll doubles, it really doesn't matter what you rolled, how well you succeeded, how bad. It, you just, you're not going to generate enough uh, stunt points to bring this person down. That's a weird thing. I don't know how many other of these little weird things are in there. Um, the task sharing is a little... I like the, the way, the mechanic for modeling group tasks in it where they distinguish between a something that adds... Uh, it's a force multiplier where it adds a bunch of, you know, everyone's successes get added to the, the same and uh, insight where only one person's insight goes on. But what I don't like is that it seems like anybody can roll that. So on those tasks, I don't know why you're not having all players roll. So effectively, you're like, you're rolling with quadruple advantage on those rolls. And from what I can tell, like rules is written, you don't necessarily need to succeed on that dice roll either. So as long as someone, you take the highest result to determine what's success and fail, and then you take the best stunt dice out of your party. And like, we only have four players, so it's quadruple advantage on on ours. But I mean, like, what if you had a bigger player, player group, six or seven, like you're rolling six dice and, and taking the best of them as the as the insight? I don't know. I, I, I like the way Zweihander handles it, where it's like, if you've got the skill then you can roll, you know, so there's at least a little bit of gatekeeping, so it's not everybody rolling dice on every roll, so, because, I mean, that just opens the door for the same nonsense that I don't really like in some D20 games, where it's like, well, I'll eat another, well, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help, and there's just no real story justification for that, so, anyway, that's a small gripe, um, I, I, and I mean, again, it's something to be addressed with a house roll, and I want to go back and reread to make sure, although I did check last night, and I'm, I'm not wrong about that grapple thing, so, Anyway, um, so that's the state of play. So now that's kind of where things are right now. This week we've got uh, two sessions of AD&D. We've got a session of Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And then we've got Zweihander again. So this week is going to kick ass. Um, but let's talk about uh, the October Faction game. All right, so the session that I ran, as I said in my last episode, I think the last episode, uh, the session I ran was for uh, October Faction, the TV series from... Uh, Netflix that uh, my buddy uh, George uh, was, uh, or on which he was a co-executive producer and a uh, writer. So there were some things that um, were uh, about that, some things about the series, and I, I mentioned them before that I thought distinguished it from being just kind of a, you know, just a, a, a Monster Hunter thing, like the the 
it, there were some themes about like distrust of authority and secrets and um, what do you call it? Uh, revelations of uh, relationships and family and found family and stuff like that. So there was more to the to the series than just like your regular monster hunter stuff. And I wanted the session to just kind of reflect that stuff. In particular, the 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 secret stuff. Um, the other thing I, I realized was that it was the in order to uh, allow for enough time to uh, to allow those things to kind of uh, play out. Uh, then what I would need is a system that did not chew up a lot of time in combat. If I was going to have combat, it needed to be something that moved very quickly. You know, um, I couldn't... Uh, and I guess also it meant for task resolution, I also needed something that did not... Um, that didn't take a lot, an awful lot of time. I, I went through this a little bit in my adventure design uh, episode uh, two episodes ago. Uh, but what I actually landed on is... Um, there were well, I guess first what I landed on was reasons why these some of these games would not work. D twenty modern, as much as I th- as I think it's a cool game, would not be appropriate for this because it would take a lot of time. The combat is very mechanistic, and it really wouldn't it wouldn't have the feel that it does in in the series, which is to say that combat is a means through uh, to story uh, and to conflict, not a, a an end in and of itself for conflict. There's not. It's not John Wick where the, like the super cool action scenes are the are the point of the story. Um, violence in uh, October Faction seemed to be something that was happening or happening to move story along. Um, not even that. It was really more like it was a corollary to to the story. So, uh, so for that reason, yeah, that was out. I also um, when I started reading more about uh, modern age. I had some some of the not concerns, but some of the feelings about it that I've I've come to, which is to, you're going to spend a lot of time fussing with the system uh, if it's people who have not played before, and I didn't want that. I wanted something that was very like we get right into the game and we get right playing. I didn't want people fussing around with decisions on uh, what kind of stunts to have or whatever. Uh, so. Um, I wanted the focus to be on the story. I wanted everything to be about the the adventure itself, like the the characters that they're playing and, and whatever. So what I ended up doing is I, I took a post-it uh, uh, and I, I put down, like, what do I need? What's the things I absolutely need in order to run this story? And what I needed was stats to distinguish the characters apart from each other, obviously. Um, but, I mean, there was a limited amount of stats I needed. Um, I needed skills, and I needed um, combat. I needed a fast-playing combat and a simple task resolution mechanic. So I sat down, and then um, I wrote that down. I didn't need supernatural powers or anything like that, so I, I don't need to worry about having rules for psychics or you know magic users or any stuff like that. It's not that kind of adventure. I didn't need any... The way that the adventure that I had foreseen, uh, I did not need any... Uh, really elaborate uh, social uh, combat mechanics. You know, I didn't need something that was going to really... At least it didn't need to be a, a, a like a something that was appended on. Um, the thing that was going to be the focus of the story and where the, the excitement comes from is the revelation of those secrets and the impact of that on the character's uh, goals and values and so forth, you know, and um, so the more I thought about it, the, uh, 
and I, I didn't want to have, I, I didn't need a, a fear mechanic, you know, I, I didn't need a shit ton of skills, um, because that's, the, the, the characters are hyper competent in, uh, in October fashion, or at least they're presented that way, so I, I, you know, I don't need a big list of skills when I can just consolidate stuff, it's not important that my character knows mechanical engineering and electrical engineering and, you know, um, whatever the uh, structural engineering it's important that my character is an engineer type. They can do, you know, it's because the I, the the thing doesn't really make a distinction between the show, at least doesn't make a distinction between the types of engineering that goes in. They don't care concern themselves with it. It's that there's a guy who can do some kind of weird arcano engineering, and there's no real, and he's a he's a gadgeteer kind of type character. There's no real other explanation or examination of it beyond that. So. Um, so what I landed on is for, for Task Resolution, I had been looking at a game that I haven't run in a little while, uh, but that I really love, which is Traveler 2nd Edition from Mongoose. Um, I had... Um, I, I'd run it before, uh, and uh, I hadn't... It's been quite a while since I've, I've run it, and when we ran it before, it was very roleplay heavy. There wasn't a lot of, like, very few combats. If I don't think there were any combats... Uh, sessions or combat encounters in one of the games and or one of the campaigns and the other one it was almost ex- well we had a couple combat sessions and they were actually kind of interesting but I, I really hadn't had a chance to put the that particular thing through its paces but the task resolution is pretty easy it's 2d6 uh, you add a stat modifier if you got one and you add a skill if you got one generally speaking target number is an eight and then however much you exceed the target number by that becomes the effect of your role. So there's, um, there's a, the thing that I find interesting about that is there's some, um, there's a a fair amount of information you're getting out of each dice roll and that you can rework that fairly well too. Um, damage is, uh, from weapons is usually going to be a a series of D6s often, you know, between two and three. Uh, there's some like, uh, I made a sniper rifle for one of the, uh, for the particular adventure and I jacked it up a little higher uh, for damage, but um, generally speaking, it's going to be about uh, like between one d six and three d six, depending on what you're using, and there may be some modifiers for that. But then you also add your effect onto that as well. Uh, so, what um, I went through and I read it, and, and I mean, the system seemed pretty. The, like the the task resolution was a cinch because you're using a lot of d sixes as well for both sides of the for the effect and the the task resolution excuse me, the task resolution, uh, it seemed like I could, there's a lot of ways I could play with the effect. And there's ways they do with that in the in the game as well. You know, as written, where you can compare the effect to, uh, um, you compare the effect to the, uh, the other side's effect, and that'll tell you kind of like who's successful in the contested thing. Or when you're doing long-term uh, strategies like a long-term um, thing, lo- not long-term, but long-term tasks uh, or group tasks, you have the characters uh, each making the rolls and contributing towards it, or if it's a long-term task, you just have each iteration of dice rolls that reflects a different length of time, and then in whatever your effect is, that's what contributes to the the overall number, and then once your number reaches a certain point, then you've you've succeeded, you know, or you completed that task successfully. Um... So what I decided to do, I mean, like, I, I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, uh, fast playing, you know, um, I, I've had a lot of fun with it. And 
skills are rated between um, either like from not having them whatsoever, having them, which is a zero, you know, if you're just basic level training, which means you don't take a penalty when using your uh, your skills. And then they go up to level four for starting characters. So I was like, all right, that's a good range. You know, it gives me a way of reflecting what certain characters will be capable of, what other ones wouldn't be. And there's also an, a, um, a like advantage, disadvantage, or boon and bane mechanic in there too, where like if you've got something where you are particularly good at it, you can roll uh, 3d6 and then keep the two highest, and that's your roll. And a bane is just the converse. You roll 3d6, just like disadvantage. 3d6, drop the two, uh, uh, drop the highest, and you keep the other two. So. There's some another fun little dice trick that's in there in the in the mechanics as written, and in the Traveler Companion, uh, they offer a an, an interesting thing to expand out um, the uh, the kind of narrative flow of uh, characters, or na- the narrative component of the game, which is that allow the characters uh, once per session uh, to. Basically, you, you look at the their stat bonuses, and if they've got bonuses to stats, and stat bonuses don't don't actually start a- accumulating at until nine in uh, Traveler, and your stats go from like one to twelve in Traveler, so like it's it's a much narrower range. But you for each of the stat bonuses you you've got, you can once per session get an automatic success on one of your rolls that involves that stat. And I thought that was really clever because, you know, one of the things that's kind of frustrating about Traveler sometimes I've, I've found in the past is when it's a dice roll, you want to make the character make a dice roll because, like, you know, it there's it, there's something interesting in success or fail, but it's really something they should succeed in. Uh, so it's it was a really cool way of, like, buying automatic successes but also giving them a limited supply of that stuff. So... I thought, all right, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that in the in the game as well. So each character had a certain number of uh, I called them signature skills, and then when they were using a skill relating to that inf- incorporated that attribute, they could uh, take a uh, automatic success with it, and they could do it that a number of times per uh, per session equal to whatever their sig- number of signature skills were. So, like for instance, a guy who had plus two to the education stat, uh, would twice per session be able to get an automatic success with an effect of one, and that was it. Now, the, the because they, there was a preset uh, effect of only one, there were times where it was much more advantageous for the players to just make a roll, and, you know, roll the dice and, and literally, and uh, see if they, you know, run the risk of failure but try and get a bigger success or bigger effect on it. So that was that was cool. I like seeing them make that decision. Um, and then in addition, I ended up adding in these things that I called assets. And what assets were were kind of like traits in some of the meta games or the story games. And what it was was just basically three things about the character. You know, I'd, I'd have like um, you know manic determination. Um, uh, what is it? Um, a megawatt smile or something like that. Um, you know, uh, European sophistication. And then, if you had once per once per scene, if you could inc- you, you could incorporate one of your assets uh, into the description of what you were doing, and then you'd be able to make the roll with a boon. So the there there were basically two different ways that players could like on their sheet. 
that they could incorporate, um, you know, different ways of manipulating the probabilities. One of them was to guarantee auto successes. One of them was to get those boons in. And the players really, like, they, they got what the intent was behind those really quickly and really dug into them. I actually, uh, the, the signature skills, no one really, they talked about them, but no one had really made use of them until the very end. And there was a critical role that was really hard. And one of the other players was, um, actually, it wasn't one character needed to make this role. And it was not his player. It was someone else who was like, wait, 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 hold on. Could he use his signature skill to do this? And at that point, I'd kind of been thinking ahead. I'm like, well, maybe I wouldn't use this again next time. But it was awesome. Like, it was a really challenging role. And it what to be honest, it wasn't really super... It wouldn't have been terribly interesting if he had failed it. It would have just been more of them trying to hold off the, the you know, the, the ghouls and whatnot that were attacking them for another round. Um... And it was a, you know, he used up one of his limited resources. So that was pretty fucking cool. It was it was neat that uh, I, I would absolutely keep those in, not only in my next session of October Faction, but also in uh, Traveler when I run it. I think those are a great rule. And it allows me to go a little more gloves off with the players too. Like it was, it was really cool. So, and then finally as, as well, because I wanted the characters to have, well, I had two things I wanted. I wanted to give them some special abilities that were pretty cool, you know, like little things that would be able to affect uh, one that would be tactical uh, and one that would be non-tactical. So like one that would be kind of a combat-oriented thing, a talent, and then one non-combat-oriented talent. And then what that meant was that each character had some cool thing they could do with their, you know, in combat, some cool kind of breaking the rules thing they could do that didn't relate to combat. Um, But what I... Um, what I, I decided was that I, like the dark secrets, the way I, I set them up is each character had something called a dramatic prompt. And what that was, was when that happened, then they would have their dark secret revealed to them. And I'd, I'd give them the token or I'd, I'd show them the sheet that had their dark secret on it. And we were playing in roll 20. So I was able to just load that up as a, uh, a specific sheet, you know, a separate handout. So each character had their own handout with their dark secret on it. When the dramatic prompt happened, and I tried to keep the dramatic prompts as vague as possible so it didn't spoil the story for the characters, but I made it really clear, like, look, you got to keep an eye out for this because that's when you're, when you're going to get it. When the dramatic prompt happened, what would happen then is I would then pass the character, uh, pass the dark secret to the character, and then the player would determine when they were going to incorporate that dark secret. And when they did, when the dark secret was revealed then all players got something called a drama point. And the drama point is what you use to fuel those super cool talents. So the talents, and then like talents were things like, um, I tried to give them really evocative names and I tried to, um, I tried to give them like something just really neat, like that you would really want to use. Um, And because they were, you know, once the players learned the value of those talents, my idea was that they would be, the incentive would be there to reveal your dark secrets because you want to get those drama points, and uh, that's, that's sort of it's sort of an idea that I I, I didn't steal it directly, but I, like in retrospect, I I know that um, Margaret Weiss's uh, productions, uh, Marvel game, they do something similar with that with um, uh, how they incentivize XPs. They try and get you to do certain things, but but anyway, the so you get your dark secret, you reveal it, and then and I made it clear to the players like, look the. The fun with the dark secrets is not keeping them. The fun with the dark secrets is revealing them 
and seeing what the consequences are. Because that's what's cool about the series. The series had some really cool reveals, and they didn't save the reveals for like the end of the season. They they did it throughout the thing. So throughout the, the series. So um, yes, and then like the the talents would be things like um, both. Let's see. There was a. Um, medic and there was a uh, engineer there's a not a medic but like a doctor there's a doctor and an engineer who were in the group um, and the engineer both of them had this ability that was very similar one was called uh, I didn't learn this in med school and then the other one's ability was uh, shut up and hand me that wrench and what it what basically allowed them to do is they'd make a roll um, they'd activate it first so they'd spend a drama point activate it on a certain roll and then they would make another roll, and then the effect of that would... And basically what it would allow them to do is do some crazy improvised thing with either medicine slash chemistry or with engineering. And the guys actually combined it at one point in the course of the session, which was super fucking cool. And they used them in such good ways. Like, they were such interesting ways. Exactly what I was hoping they would do. The thing I love about that kind of quasi-science, you know, uh, sci-fi or, or horror fiction is that, you, you you know, you see it all the time in Star Trek and whatnot where the people improvise these bonkers things. And that's what my intent was behind those. And then each of them also had some other ability. Um, there was a character who had uh, an ability called, um, this is nothing, you should have seen Tbilisi in 52. And what it did is it allowed everybody, you makes a check and then everybody could re- recover some damage. They, they'd uh, get rid of some damage. Um, the doctor had one called, let me see that wound, which is a, like a massive healing ability. Um, the uh, engineer had an interesting one called uh, Pray and Spray. And what it was, was basically, he had no skill with guns whatsoever. He carried a gun around, but had limited ammunition. And uh, what it allowed him to do, though, is, is to for one round to kind of close his eyes and blow things away. And then suddenly he made an attack as if he had a, a gun skill of five. And remember, the max that I was allowing was four. And he could make three attacks with it. So you just like blaze away, and and uh, that that had some pretty funny and and really cool consequential effect in the on the game, and I don't feel it overshadowed the the real like ass kicking guys in it as well. Um, and I tried to balance out between the talents and the skills that all the characters had competent things to do in all rounds. Sometimes they wouldn't be able to do it a lot of times. You know, like the two really more field agent types uh, who were more um, combat capable, those two were um, uh, th- those two were able to be more combat focused all the time. But their abilities, their their talents, they were not necessarily combat focused. They were more chatty chatty focused to, to kind of you know counter counterpoint to the their day to day you know regular skills they could keep using. And similarly, a lot of the more cerebral ones, they had that converse where they could do cool things in combat with their talents, but um, their skills overall were focused in other areas. And then the... Uh, let's see here, what else? Uh, and then there was the leader guy. There was the, the, the one that uh, George was playing, and he had some... Yeah, like, a, you know, a, a really cool social talent that was called... Uh, do you know? Don't you know who I am? Or something to that effect. And it was great because, like, you know, each one of these things had that, each one of the talents had that kind of evocative name. And the, the more we got into the session, the more the guys were really getting, you know, used to using those things. And the, and the overall pacing of it worked really, really well. Like, the intent was was that slowly over time they'd start investigating. They wouldn't have access to those talents. They just have normal skills. 
but task resolution was very easy. And because of the effect uh, uh, dynamic to the uh, role, it, it would give us another number to play with. So, like, by that way, I mean, like, um, you know, when uh, the one player decided he wanted to improvise and he's like, I'm going to try and give some tactical direction to what people are doing here. Uh, so I said, okay, cool, cool. So make a roll against target number eight. Whatever your effect is, that becomes a pool of points. It's tactical points that for the next two rounds, the guys can draw from, or until circumstances change, they can draw from to get a bonus to attack. And that reflected their thing. And, and that just, you know, it, there were a couple other instances where the, the guys improvised this. They were using the sonic device to kind of drive these underground ghouls out of the, out of the ground. And then they decided to, instead of doing that, which I love, like they were, I gave them a, like, this is the way to solve this problem. They found a completely different way of solving it. So they, they were like, no, 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 let's, let's change this thing and, and draw the ghouls to us. And then when they realized that they, they weren't just drawing the like ghoul king that they wanted to kill, they were drawing all the ghouls. They then adjusted it again and set it so that it was pulling just the ghoul king in and leaving the others at a, you know, uh, outside. I didn't want it to be forever because, I mean, that, that would be boring. So in, what I did is I, I, we used the effect that they rolled times three as the number of actions that the ghouls would have to spend in order to break through that barrier. So, it, I mean, it just provided some really easy mathematical ways to, to improvise some, some bonkers things that the characters were coming up with. And I love that. It was so easy to, to give mechanical meaning to the narrative stuff that the players were coming up with. And... In addition, like over the course of the session, we were seeing more and more of the, um, uh, I don't know, like, I mean, it was the, the, it was exactly what I had intended, which is to say, as the session was going on, we were seeing more and more of these dark secrets revealed and things were getting more tense. So like, not only were the players learning more about what was going on in the mystery, the way you would in any mystery game, they were also learning more about each other. And then also given the kind of, I had described it to the players as being like, we're all co-DMs in this. We're all going to be creating this story together. And when you get fed the, your dark secret, that's you putting your DM hat on and you deciding when's the time to most dramatically incorporate this stuff. But also as a player, calculating when you're going to want to get those action points, right? Or the drama points. And um, it worked out just so, so well, you know, and it led to some really incredible role-playing amongst the characters, which was awesome, or the players, no characters, it was the players as the characters, and um, yeah, I just, I, I honestly can't think of a game session that has had a better mix of, um, you know, outstanding outcomes in terms of role-playing and uh, characters considering role-playing and mechanics and and whatnot, all at the same time. Like, it was just great. The system worked out to be really light on its feet. Um, and we had... And it felt like October uh, fe- uh, Faction. Like, it really genuinely felt like um, a... Uh, like like the sensibilities of that uh, of that series. You know, and, oh, and I, I take it as a point of pride that George in particular, like, as the, you know, co-EP of the series, said it, it really felt like one of those, uh, you know, like what the episode was, and it hit the the things that he felt made the uh, the series distinct. So that was, in, I mean, again, like enormously gratifying. That was exactly what I wanted out of it. Um, and the system, I've had some other ideas of, uh, we, when we finished up, I was saying to the players, like, well, you know, I mean, like, 
it's it's I'm, I'm not sure we could keep doing dark secrets every session and whatnot too but i've actually had ideas about how to extend that by instead treating it like a series and having the you know um that at the end of the session what we do is we, we talk about the plot points that were left or plot threads that were left hanging we decide which one we want to pursue in the next session and i think that the way that i would do it is let you know one person can make a decision and then once that person has made a decision each other person needs to pick a different plot point uh, or plot thread to pursue and, and at the end of that session we had like four or five you know each character had some other hanging thing so I'm in the process of prepping another session of it and I'm going to incorporate some other um, ideas and I'm going to codify some of the stuff that we improvised over the course of the campaign but I mean it was really fun you know like I mean and um, in it, it's it's a testament to the dependable uh, nature of that traveler system the traveler 2d6 or 2d6 system is so good um but it also i think um i'm really um yeah i mean i, I just i i'm really satisfied with how that played out and i compare that to our session of modern age that we had and the system got in the way of the story to a degree and it's partly because we're not familiar with it but like I man, I really feel like I would much prefer a lighter on its feet system. I would much prefer having something that uh, runs closer to like how my October Faction game went, um, with some of the story game things that I had in there, uh, than to have a, you know, than to have the the a little more finicky, not a little more, a lot more finicky system for mod, for modern age. And also, I mean, I I guess like one thing I find baffling about modern age is the level thing. I just don't get why you need levels in a in a modern day game. You know, like um, I guess because other games have those, it's an easy way of measuring relative power to other characters. But it's so fault like same with modern D twenty modern. Like the it's so strange because like the the reason you got levels in D anD D at the end of the day is for combat balancing, and when your game isn't all about that, it's weird that you have. Um, they have levels at all in the game because you know you don't need to have balanced you can just keep things at the same tier and there's other ways to make characters feel interesting and see development and whatnot um, like the way they do in Traveler or the way at least the optional rules from Traveler and also from Star Trek like Star Trek Adventures has some really really good ways of giving you a feeling of development and change in the course of the series without it just being levels or like bundles of XP that you spend to increase your character it's really clever ways of, of um, that feel like you can track growth of the characters in the campaign without having to just give them flat higher numbers or more things to spend to get add to the character sheet it's, it's really really clever I'm stealing ideas from it actually for for my October faction thing so so anyway, so that is October Faction. It was it was really good, you know. I mean, I I have not had oh man, like it just it was so much fun. I, I can't wait to run it again uh, and see how the players go. I loved seeing the players' reactions, you know, like not only to their dark secrets, but also seeing how the players incorporated it and then how they played on that and did more role playing. You know, it was just it was so good. It was such a solid session. It was so entertaining and so enjoyable. Um, really can't wait to, to try it again. So, so anyway, so that was October Faction. Okay, so I guess the last thing to consider is uh, what lessons do I have to draw from my experience with uh, October Faction? I mean, setting aside the fact that 
Uh, one, it's it's an enormous amount of work to to do that. To cobble, I actually put together uh, character sheets and then had the full, you know, rules and and whatever. So like it, it was uh, it was a great deal of work to get that um, uh, ready to go at the table. But it, I mean, work that was totally worth it. It was it was such a such a good uh, experience putting that together. Um, the other thing I think I learned uh, from it is uh, that I enjoy uh, I enjoy that side of uh, the the work. I mean, I do an awful lot of um, adding stuff in to my uh, you know to kludging rules together and stuff I got on the fly. But it was a lot of fun to put together something um, like basically a whole picture of rules and. Uh, um, everything like I mean the, the rules, task resolution, stuff like that, uh, framework for it. It was was really really good, uh, especially when it's for myself to run. You know, like uh, when I knew what adventure I wanted to run, and my own sensibilities for how I like to run games. That was enormously gratifying. Um, I get why uh, game designers, uh, you know, who, who do create their own thing, tend to run their own thing too, not just for marketing purposes, but because it likely fits their own sensibilities and their own, uh, you know, their, their own um, tastes uh, for how they like to see games play out. Um, in addition, I, uh, I think that there's a great lesson here for me for how, for fitting rules and not just a, like a task resolution, but like every element of the rules, uh, you know, what things are part of the character sheet, uh, you know, what, um, what things play up, uh, what, what sort of mood, I guess, is played up and, and the types of play that are incentivized at, uh, at the table. I really enjoyed thinking about all those things and I think that when I'm running other games, it will, it'll behoove me to bear that in mind, to remember that, you know, there are certain ways to incentivize play that result in the kind of gameplay you want at the table and ways you could do that that are uh, self-interested and that result that you know require interesting calculations like the interesting calculation with the dark secret the only thing I, I, I wish I had done a little differently is I did really force one player's hand to be like look you got to reveal your, your secret because I don't know when he was thinking of um, of unveiling it, but I think that it would have been too late. I, I was looking forward to, and it's not because he's not a great player, it's just because I think that the, it was such a different mechanic. And I also keyed one of the other players' mechanics um, to that, uh, to, to like once everyone else had revealed their dark secret, then that person's dark secret was revealed. And um, I wouldn't necessarily chain people's dark secrets like that again, uh, because I think that that it made the necessity for everybody to reveal um, it gate kept I, I guessed I, I guess one of the uh, secrets behind that so I, I wouldn't do that again but I mean otherwise boy oh boy great what a great session what a great uh, thing um, I definitely need to be more mindful and I mean to be honest I guess I do this anyway but you know be more mindful of like creating little exceptions to the rules or creating little clear sub, not necessarily, I keep saying the word minigame, which makes it sound like a, an annoying thing that you need to do to like, un, you know, to pick a lock in a video game or something like that. But I mean, like a fun change of pace where there are role playing and game decisions that you're making with respect to either like interesting tactics or 
with respect to the, um, you know, like, um, what is it, resource management, uh, risk reward kind of things. Uh, I, I need to try and incorporate that into more of my sessions because it, it boy, did it make for a satisfying uh, session. Um, it also, you know, I don't need a lot. I think that my experience with AD&D, my experience with that, I don't need an awful lot of rules in order to have a good time and tell a good story and, and have a really good session with engaged players and, and whatever, you know. It's part of the reason why I love the OSR scene so much. And I think of why I'm... I'm, I'm not necessarily the Apocalypse World games, but um, some of the ones that are sort of a midway point, like uh, Cult, Divinity Lost, and uh, especially City of Mists, those games really hit the, the the amount of complexity that I need in my game, just like what, uh, like say, Traveler does. The Traveler core mechanic was a phenomenal foundation on which to build this session. So I'm really looking forward to getting... We've got uh, Traveler coming back to the table in uh, after Zweihander, and I'm really looking forward to, to that as well, too. I will be, I mean, sad to say goodbye to Firehander for the time being, because that's a, a pretty fun game, too. But I'm really looking forward to that a lot. I think it's a super solid game. And just like with, um, uh, just like with, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, D&D, having the task resolution in all aspects resolve fairly quickly, but with also interesting results as far as the, the effects go, makes for really a really, really fun uh, pacing uh, and keeps you engaged in the story while still being able to to make some interesting mechanics decisions. So, yeah, really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. i got to make sure I try and make use of that more. And I might consider even not necessarily the, uh, the you know, dark, the dark secret and the talent mechanics, um, but I certainly will be making um, use of the signature skills in my uh, Traveler game because that was terrific. I, the, I think that that worked really well for the players. So, anyway... So that's some of the lessons I think I, I learned from designing and running uh, the October Faction game. Okay, so I think that is it for uh, this episode. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this uh, episode, please don't hesitate to shoot me a voicemail on uh, Anchor. Uh, you can shoot me an email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. And if you head over to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, uh, you can find... On any of the recent videos, a link to the Dungeon Musings Discord server, uh, where you can find myself and a bunch of other people. We're talking cool stuff like role-playing games, and uh, we have a Find a Game channel, and we've got game, uh, section of channels dedicated to all the different games that we run on the channel, and the things we have run in the past as well, too. Um, so then, until next time, folks, again, I guess finally, thank you so much for listening, and until I see you again, happy gaming.